0: that statement that Jesus made, and you will be my witness. Go and, and preach the gospel. Go and share the reality of who I am. It was, it was the dream that he had placed within the apostles. I want to, as we, as we conclude our series A.D. this morning, I want to talk to you about this issue of, of your dream. Last week, we talked about the peril of playing it safe, that God's called us to be risk takers. And and I'm convinced that that is a timely message for the body of Christ, that we we cannot live in the realm of safety. We also need to be careful that we don't allow the enemy to to distort this God-given understanding and this God-given inclination to take measured risk. We can't allow the enemy to distort that and to push us into recklessness, but in the middle of, of, of safety and recklessness is this place where God wants us to live, and that's, that's taking steps that require faith. What does that look like? How, how can we understand that? Well, here's what I believe to be true, and here's the message I believe that God has for you and I this morning, is that He still is the giver of dreams, God has given to each one of you a dream. Now, we, we, all, we all have them, right? We all have dreams. And the dream that I want to talk to you about this morning is, is not that goofy dream that you have from time to time. I don't know if this happens for you, but I have this recurring dream. In fact, I have a couple of them. And, and one of the recurring dreams that I have, I'm back in high school and I'm showing up to class in my pajamas. Does anybody else have that dream? Oh, I'm the only one. Okay. I also have a dream that I, I show up for church, and I'm going to change into clothes that are in my office, and everything that I have is completely wrinkled. And I'm trying to figure out, how can I go out and go to church in all these wrinkled clothing? Anybody else have that dream? Oh, only me. Okay. So, I'm the only one in the house this morning that has the odd recurring dream here's what I'm confident of. Many of you are here and you have these recurring dreams. You're just afraid to acknowledge them. Listen, that dream doesn't mean you're crazy. I'm not saying that you're not crazy. I'm just saying that that dream doesn't mean that you're crazy. (laughs) It's a part of life. We all have those. Some of us, we have those weird dreams. Some of us, we have the far-fetched dream. Some of you are here today, and you dream of winning the lottery and becoming a bazillionaire. Friend, it's not going to happen. In fact, let me help you with something. I'm convinced that the lottery is a tax on the stupid. Fully convinced of that. It's a great way to waste a whole lot of money. The house always wins. But outside of these goofy dreams and outside of the far-fetched dreams, here's, if you, if you give God opportunity, what you'll discover is this, is that he still is in the business of speaking, and he's still in the business of giving dreams. It tells us in, in Acts chapter 2, Peter quotes what Joel said in Joel chapter 2. He says, he says this, In the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Young men will have vision. Old men will dream dream dreams. Not just men, it says, but this, this expression of the Holy Spirit and this giving of dreams is not just for men, it's for women. It's for all of God's creation. God has a plan for you. God has a destiny for you. He knows the steps that you are to take. It's a dream that he has for you, and God is consistent in communicating that dream to his children. We've seen it. It's 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 woven all throughout scripture. God gave a dream to Abram who becomes Abraham. God gave a dream to Moses. God gave a dream to Noah. God gave a dream to Samuel. He spoke to Ezekiel and Isaiah in a dream. Zechariah understood about the Messiah because of a dream. Peter went to the house of Cornelius because of a dream. Paul, numerous aspects of his missionary journey were because of dreams. And God has a dream for you. And God's dream for you is not that you retire to Florida, play golf, and collect seashells. It's important that we understand this. And that we, that we embrace the dream that God has for us. Why? Why? Because here's what you'll find, you'll find that your dream, it is the picture that God gives to where you understand the path in which to take the risk that we talked about last week. I, I want to remind you, last week we talked about the fact that God wants us to take risk, that you're, you're, you're defined by the risk that you take, that you were created to take risk, that you're rewarded according to your risk. And, and what God wants us to do, He wants us to take risks that is in agreement with His Word. He wants us to take risks that reflect how He has created us, the shape that He's given us, that God calls us to take risks that impact those around us, that bless those around us. And God wants us to take risks that glorify Him and bring honor to who He is and reverence His name. And we can understand what that risk looks like by taking the time to unpack and embrace the dream that he has for us. In the clip, Peter talks to Philip about taking the road to the south. They have an understanding of this because God has placed within them this dream that they will be world changers. And God doesn't just give a dream to a special few. Joel told us that. Peter reminded us of that. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Friend, that includes you. You're not an accident. You're not here simply to pass the time. You have a calling on your life. You have a destiny that God has laid out for you. And the picture of that destiny is what is called a dream. And God wants you to, to walk in that dream. He wants you to live in that dream. Here's the challenge that we face. The challenge that we face is this. Is that in the midst of that dream, we have this adversary. And what he will do is he will attempt to bring distortion and distraction Because his goal is destruction. And so he'll bring distortion. He'll he'll try to to shift your dream. I see this a lot in the the context in which I live and a lot in the church world. So much of the church today is confused about the dream that God has for them. And so what we do is we endeavor to big, build big churches. We endeavor to have um, known ministries. That was never God's plan. That was never God's agenda. And and we we lose sight of of what it is that we're really supposed to do. My dream. My dream is to reach Orlando for Christ. It it really is. My dream is to, in fact, people from time to time, they'll say, "As as you lead this church, Calvary, some way of God, what do you want that to look like? I'd like for people to say two things about this church that i care about so much and and i'd like them to say this i'd like them to say calvary is a place and it's a people who really care That they really, that they genuinely care. That, that they're not just putting on a show, that it's not some program, but they genuinely care. If you want to be connected to a body that really cares about people, that's Calvary. And the other thing that I want people to say is that if you want to experience the touch of God in a profound way, if, if you want to experience the power of God, the majesty of God, the deliverance of God, that you need to hang out with those Calvary people. That's it. That's my dream. It's a, it's a dream that, that captivates me. It's a dream that encourages me. It's a dream that motivates me. And God has just such a dream for you. But what we've got to do is we've we've got to we've got to embrace our dream and we've got to we've got to protect our dream. And thinking about that and, and thinking about talking to you today about, about your dream, I prayed and I said, God, give me a, give me a direction to, to communicate this well. And, and I found myself going to, back in the Old Testament, the story of the person who would arguably, uh, arguably be the biggest dreamer in, in the Bible. And that's a, a young man by the name of Joseph. And, and, and in the book of Genesis, in the 37th chapter, we're introduced to Joseph. He's the, he's the son of Jacob and uh, comes from a large family. I, I think that's part of the reason why I, I, can, I can relate uh, to Joseph. Joseph comes from this large family, uh, lots of brothers, lots of sibling issues. And uh, it tells us this, and in, in Genesis 37, verse 5, it says this, Joseph had a dream. Shouldn't surprise us, we all have a dream. Here's where Joseph gets into trouble. Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him all the more. Isn't that an interesting scripture? Joseph had a dream, he told it to his brothers, and they hated him all the more. You can somewhat understand it because Joseph's dream, he says this, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. You can understand why his brothers would be a little put off by that dream, wouldn't you? Listen, God's given me a dream that you're going to bow down to me. And he tells them not just one dream. He tells tells them of several dreams where they rebuke him. Even his father rebukes him. A little while later in Genesis 37, it says this. In Genesis 37, 19, Joseph is coming up towards his brothers and they say, here comes the dreamer. Let's kill him. I don't know if you've ever experienced that in your life. Maybe not where someone literally wanted to try to take your life. But undoubtedly, all across this room, there are many who you've had situations, circumstances, and people who have wanted to kill your dream. In fact, some are here today, and not only have you had situations, circumstances and people want to kill your dream, for far too many, we've allowed that to happen. We've allowed the, the circumstances of life that the enemy brings into our day to distort our dream. We've, we've allowed relationships to creep in to our journey that have distracted us from our dream. We've allowed hardships and challenges to consume our thoughts and they have destroyed our dream. Well, I'm here this morning to challenge you and to let you know that God is giving opportunity for you to recapture that dream. God's brought you here today to see a birth or a rebirth of a dream. Because the oft-quoted scripture from Jeremiah is so true. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a future and a hope. God wants you to walk in your dream. God created you for significance. And he calls you to a purpose. And life does not work. Listen very carefully to this. If you get nothing else out of this morning, get this. Life does not work outside of the dream that God has for you. And far too many people who call themselves Christians live lives of frustration, desperation, even bitterness, angry at people and irritated at God because God is not opening up the doors that they want to have opened up because they've allowed their dream to be distorted or destroyed. And so they're chasing after the things that they think they want or the the things that the world is telling them that they need rather than following God's plan for them, which is a plan for blessing and opportunity. I want a moment, I want to revisit the story that we talked about last week when Jesus said in Matthew 25, the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like. And he told the story of the parable of the talents what I love about that story, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like everything the master entrusted to them and challenged them to take risk, to move forward and to produce was not to benefit the master. The master gave to them as a vehicle to bless them. And I'm convinced that the reason that the master dealt with the one talent servant so severely was not just because he didn't do anything with the talent, it's because he misrepresented the character of the master. If, If you look at that story, Matthew 25, it says this, It says the master was going to go away, and before he goes away, he gives to each of his servants. To the one, he gives five talents, the equivalent of $6 million. To the other, he gives two talents, the equivalent of $2.5 million. To the the third, he gives one talent, the equivalent of $1.2 million, and then he goes away. When he comes back, he talks to the five-talent servant, the $6 million man. $6 million man says, I took this, I doubled it. What's the master's response? Way to go. I'm so proud of you. You have proved your faithfulness. I'm going to give you an opportunity for abundance. Right? The two-talent guy, $2.5 million, $2, $2.5 million guy, comes and says, you've entrusted me with this. This is what I did with it. Man, I'm so proud of you. You are so amazing. You have proved yourself faithful. I'm going to give you opportunity for blessing and abundance. The one talent person comes and says this, Master, I knew that you were a hard master. Where in the story prior does it say that? The way that the master responded to the five-talent servant and the two-talent servant, does it show that he's a hard master? No, here's what we see. We see a master that puts his servant's interests first and is looking for opportunity to bless We live this life at arm's reach from God and oftentimes bitter at God because we don't understand the character of God. And much of the church, quite honestly, does more to distort the character of God than to display the character of God. And we're so worried about misstep and we're so worried about sin that we create an environment that people cannot function in. And the world is convinced that the church is full of haters. And we're supposed to reflect the character of God. For God so loved the world. Well, how did it happen that the Christian and that the church has gotten so distorted? It's happened because the enemy has been able to distract, distort, and destroy the dream that God has for His church collectively and for His children individually. Just to where you know that's good preaching, let me just say. So what do we do with this dream? Well, let me just, three things real quickly this morning. First, understand that just because God gives you a dream, it doesn't mean that you won't face difficulty. And there's a reason why we face this difficulty in the life of Joseph. Here's the a, here's a situation with Joseph. God, from, from before the time that Joseph was ever born, God has a plan for Joseph, Right? He's got a destiny for him. But Joseph, just like you and and, and me, Joseph has issues. Okay? Joseph has some things that need to be dealt with in his life. And one of Joseph's big things is this issue of pride. Joseph's father loves him and he makes him this really cool coat. It's one thing to have your father make you a really cool coat, it's another thing to wear it around. Joseph has this dream, this God-given dream, where his brothers are going to bow down to him. It's one thing to have that dream. It's another thing to then to go and tell your brothers about it. Hey, let me tell you about this dream. You're going to bow down to me. When is that ever going to go well? I mean, I want you to think about that. If you were to go and tell your siblings, God gave me a dream, you're going to bow down to me. Anybody, anybody in the room where your siblings are going to go, woo! we're excited about that. I mean, think about that. Elizabeth, if you went to your brothers and said, God gave me a dream and you guys are going to bow down and you're going to serve me, that's not going to go well. That's not a pretty picture. It didn't change, not for one moment, it didn't change the destiny that God had for Joseph. But Joseph had these issues in his life. He had these rough edges that needed to be sanded off. And how does that happen? Well, one of the ways that those rough edges are sanded off, is the trials that come into our life, the challenges that come into our life. All things work together for good. And so God can take these difficulties that come into our day, these challenges that we face, and He can use them. What we've got to do is this, is, is we've got to let our trials lead us to a place of triumph. We've, we've got to allow these challenges to lead us to a place of victory. In Genesis chapter 50, Joseph has gone from dealing with sibling rivalry to being sold into slavery, living in the house of Potiphar, thrown in prison, for doing the right thing, and now he is serving at the right hand of Pharaoh. There's an intense famine. His family has come to him. He has provided food for them. He's revealed who he is. We're getting close to the end of the story. Joseph's father has died, and his brothers are worried that Joseph now will take out his revenge on them for plotting to kill him and for selling him into slavery. O- on some level, I can relate to this. I- 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 my brothers never plotted to kill me. However, they did shoot me one time. I was mm, six years old, five, six years old. My brother shot me with a twenty-two pistol. This is not an exaggeration. My sister is here today. She can verify the facts. They took, a, they took a 22 caliber bullet. They pulled the top off of the bullet. They poured hot wax in there. Do not do this at home. I came around the corner of the house. They said, we don't like you. We hate you. We're going to kill you. And they shot me. If, if you take the lead off of the top of the bullet and put wax in there, it still has the same amount of gunpowder in it. it. The projectile still moves at the same rate of speed. When you hit a six-year-old, yeah, thank you for the compassion, because I never got it at home. <laughs> I shared with you recently the times that they tried to electrocute me with the transformer from a neon sign. Poison, it, 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 just, it was a regular occurrence at my household. I can understand wanting some revenge. Look at me now, brothers. Just saying. (laughs) A little bit. A little bit of bitterness, maybe. No, not really. (laughs) Truthfully not. I just think it's funny. Joseph's older, and he understands. And he said to his brothers, he said, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? His brothers were the catalyst for so much difficulty in his life. And yet here's the understanding that Joseph comes to. God has a plan in all this and I have to trust him. He asks them this powerful question. Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? I have to believe that what God's word says is true. And I have to believe that this journey is the journey that God has laid out for me. And, and yes, the difficulties were tough. And, and, and yes, uh, life in and slavery and in, and in prison has, has impacted me. But look at where God has brought me to. Listen, friend. Your destiny will always be bigger than any difficulty you face. Your destiny will always always be bigger. Also, know this. Your destiny is always more important than the difficulties in your life. And and it's worth the price. It's, it's worth the price. I stand before you and I, I bear on my body the scars of the journey of my life. While I've never been in slavery, and I fortunately have not been in prison, I know what it's like to face hardship. I, I know what it's like to face challenge. I know what it's like to endure pain. And I stand before you today and, and, and I, I tell you this. If you're going through difficulty or if you carry the memory of pain and hardship and difficulty and even the scars of that, never doubt for a moment that the difficulties that you face, that somehow they disqualify the destiny. And never wonder if it's worth it because your destiny will always be worth whatever the price is. And so, so when you find yourself in that difficult situation, when you find yourself in the, in the pit, or when you find yourself in the prison, in the midst of that moment, allow God to keep you from bitterness and to reveal to you how he's using this for your ultimate benefit and for his glory. Never assume for a moment that God doesn't have you, that he's not in charge. And his ways are not as our ways. But he has you. And if you stay in him, if you stay in him, if you abide in me, the word of God says, if you stay in him, he will always lead you to triumph. But thanks be to God who always leads us into triumph. Because of bad theology and because of the, the insidious work of Satan, He all too often can convince us when we face difficulty, when we face challenge, that somehow we're flawed, we're broken, or God is defeated. Neither of which is true. So we we have to let our, 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 our trials lead us to triumph. And those things in our life that that are devastating to us, to recognize them as vehicles for deliverance. See, that's what that's what Joseph said in Genesis 50:20. He says, Genesis 50, 19, don't be afraid, am I in the place of God? Genesis 50:20. What you intended for evil, God intended for good. The, the, the worst things Joseph said this, the worst things that happened to me in my life, God intended, God leveraged those to get me to the place where I'm at right now. Yeah. So, on the road to the dream that God has for you, there are going to be hurdles, there are going to be challenges, there are going to be difficulties, there are going to be disappointments. There are going to be, and here's the biggest one of the biggest challenges, there's going to be betrayals. But in that, when you find yourself in that difficult place, you have to, you have to refuse to become bitter. Here's what it says in, in Genesis 37, it says this. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. That's a reason to be bitter, don't you think? Your brothers strip you, throw you into a cistern. You're then sold into slavery. You you land in a decent spot. You land in a good spot. But then just a few chapters later, Genesis 39, it says this about Potiphar's wife. He's, he's, He's a slave in the house of Potiphar. And Potiphar's wife kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. You see, Potiphar's wife attempted to seduce young Joseph. Joseph said, no, I will not do anything that dishonors my God or dishonors my master. And, and he runs away from her. And as he, as he runs away, she reaches for him and she gets his cloak. She keeps his cloak until her husband, until Potiphar gets home. And then she told him this story. The Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. Joseph has every reason to be bitter about his brothers. He has every reason to be bitter towards Potiphar's wife and Potiphar. How could Potiphar's wife bring false accusation? Potiphar, Joseph had proved himself to be a person of integrity. How could he believe his wife? There's every reason to be bitter. Genesis chapter 40, the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. You want to talk about a pattern. Joseph is betrayed by his brothers. He's used by Potiphar's wife, and he's forgotten by the cupbearer. And so, as Joseph sits there in prison, rotting, seemingly rotting away in prison, he has every reason to be bitter. I understand that you've faced some challenges in life. I understand that you've faced some hurdles. I understand that there are statements that have been made about you that aren't true. I understand that people have taken advantage about you. I understand that people have made promises to you and they've not kept those promises. And the enemy would love to leverage those in your life and to get you to a place of bitterness. Maybe on some level, he's already done so. And that bitterness, that that hurt, it defines you. In this world, you will have trouble, the Word of God says. Okay, you face some challenges, but in the midst of that, you, you have to refuse bitterness. The, the second thing that you have to refuse is you have to refuse compromise. It, it would have been so easy for, for Joseph to, to give in to the, to the request of Potiphar's wife. It would have been so easy for him to resort to manipulation when when the baker and the cupbearer came to him and asked him to interpret their dreams. Here's what I have found in my life. I have found this, that the opportunity for compromise comes on almost a daily basis. The opportunity for compromise, to have integrity gap in the way that we conduct business, to be unfaithful in our relationships, our friendship relationships, our business relationships, the covenant relationship that we have with our husband, with our wife. And in, in living a lifestyle that, that makes it more acceptable for us to be Connected to the people around us. Compromise is an easy thing to do. We have to refuse bitterness. We have to refuse compromise. We also, we, we have to refuse defeat. I love the fact that Joseph never gave in. I also appreciate the fact that he never gave up. Some of us, we, we don't give in. We, we don't get sucked into the compromise. We, we protect our heart from bitterness. But we stop trying. And so life is something that we endure, it, it's something that we, we sort of enjoy. When God's design for you was that this life that you have here, there to be something that you invest. See, life isn't meant to be endured. It's not just meant to be enjoyed. It's meant to be an invest. Store up for yourself treasures in heaven where rust and moth do not corrupt, where thieves do not break in and steal. That's, that's the directive that Jesus gave us. But it's easy for us to get to get pulled aside by bitterness, or to get sucked in to compromise, or just to quit. I, I talk to people on an ongoing basis who tell me, you know, at one time there was a calling on my life, but... At one time God spoke to me about but At one time I had a dream but and there's a lot of power there's a lot of significance in that conjunction I want to remove that today And instead of you being here, instead of your life being, God once spoke to me, but I, I, I want to shift that this morning. And I want you to be able to say, there was once a calling on my life, so. There was a dream that God placed in my spirit, so. There was a drawing, a burden that I had, so. And that only happens when when you refuse bitterness, when you refuse compromise, when you refuse defeat. That's why I love the story of Joseph so much. I can, I can relate to it on so many levels. This was a guy who was massively imperfect. This was a guy that had some stuff that needed to be dealt with in his life. But this was a guy who God had a calling on his life from the very beginning. And even though he was far from perfect, even though he had stuff that had to be dealt with, because he never let go of the dream, God got him to a place Where he impacted the entire known world. What does God want to accomplish through you? Well, Pastor, it's it's too old. I disagree. I disagree. See, God has a very big plan, He has a very big plan. And even when see, what seems like your dreams are shattered, know this. I love this. Larry Crabb wrote this in his book, um, Shattered Dreams. He said this, our shattered dreams are never random. They are always a piece in a larger puzzle, a chapter in a larger story. Pain is a tragedy, but it's never only a tragedy. For the Christian, it's always a necessary mile on the long journey to joy. Let me say that again. Pain is a tragedy, but it's never only a tragedy. For the Christian, it's always a necessary mile on the long journey to joy. The suffering caused by shattered dreams must not be thought of as something to relieve if we can or endure if we must. It's an opportunity to be embraced, a chance to discover our desire for the highest blessing God wants to give us. See, God has a plan. And you can trust that plan. And here's what you'll find, is that if you don't give in to bitterness, if you don't give in to compromise, if you don't resign yourself to defeat, in the midst of everything that you're going through, you will see God's grace. And what we do is we allow that grace to move us to a place where we can give to others. We allow our grace moments to reveal God's generosity because that's what God wants to do. Genesis 50, 21, Joseph said this, so then don't be afraid, I will provide for you. I will provide for you and for your children. In, in, don't, in, in the book, Don't Waste Your Life, John Piper, he contrasts, he, he contrasts two stories. The first story is about two women. Uh, one woman is over 80, and, uh, and one woman is in her late 70s. And they had given their lives to work in mission, uh, to reach the unreached people in Cameroon. And in April 2000, this is a true story, in April 2000, um, they were in the midst of a missionary journey when the, their, the brakes in the vehicle they were, they were traveling in, those brakes failed. The car went over a cliff and they were killed instantly. And, and John Piper makes a statement. He, he asks the question. He says, was that a tragedy? And then he, he answers and he says this, no, it wasn't a tragedy. It's a glory. These lives were not wasted. And these lives were not lost because here's what it says in Mark chapter 8. It says, whoever lose his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. the second story that he talks about, he references a 1998 Reader's Digest story. And it tells of a couple who took early retirement. He was 59, she was 51. They spend their time cruising on their boat, playing softball and collecting seashells. And at first, Piper thought that this story was a kind of a spoof on the American dream. But then he realized that this is the dream. This is the American dream. The American dream is this, to come to the end of your life, your one and only precious God-giving life, and, and let the last great work of your life be playing softball and collecting seashells. Now, I know that I'm sharing the story in central Florida, one of the retirement capitals of the world. I could not get away from this, though. Piper asked the question, can you imagine standing before God and giving an account to your Creator that the last great work of your life was playing softball or playing golf and collecting seashells? Moses said in the 90th chapter, he said, Teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. And he concludes that psalm with this repeated plea and establish or confirm to us the work of our hands. Yes, the, confirm the work of our hands. Friend, I, I'm, I'm not against financial independence. I'm not against you enjoying life. I-, I love the fact that God blesses us. I-, I don't feel guilty when I spend moments on a golf course or walk along the seashore. I-, I believe that's part of the gift that God has given us. But you're not here simply to pass the time. that directive that God gave His apostles that we've seen played out in, in AD that we've talked about in this series, that, that directive didn't stop with those that were in the upper room, the 120 that were in the upper room. No, that, that same directive, that, that same desire, that same passion, God is still speaking that to His children today. Your life matters. And nothing that your family or your work or your world can throw at you ever disqualifies you from the dream that God has for you and should never Distort the steps that he's laid out for you. Sir, ma'am, that calling that you felt years ago, that calling is still on your life. How do I know this? Because the Word of God says that God's gift and his call are irrevocable. And He's still calling you. He's still drawing you to walk in that, to embrace that dream, and to see that dream come to fruition. It will require some risk. It's okay as long as that risk is in accordance with the Word of God. And and understand that that risk will be reflective of the way that God has created you. And it will bless those around you, and it will give honor to God. But we've got to get past the bitterness. We've got to respond to the compromise. And we have to take a stand that says we will not allow ourselves to be defeated. Because every trial leads to triumph. Every difficulty, every devastation has on the other side of it deliverance. And the the grace moments that God wants to bring you into, they position you well for generously, generously displaying all that God is and showing his grace and mercy and provision and love to others. I think we have to change. Change. We have to change the way that we look at ourselves. We have to change the way that we look at our circumstances. We have to change the way that we look at others. I'm convinced that starts when we rightly address our dream.